Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to uh, Tuesday's edition of the programme on what is at the moment where I'm sitting, looking out, gorgeous blue sky, that sort of watery winter, even though it's springtime sunshine, it looks lovely. It is, it's cold though, you do need to uh, wrap up warm, but there isn't, there's a little bit of rain forecast, but not too much rain because I was reading actually yesterday, the report is out for February, you know, for the record rainfall for the month of February in some parts of the country since records began, we haven't seen the amount of rain that uh, fell. So it was like, it's February behind us. Let's uh, look forward to March and let's look forward to a little bit of spring sunshine and some nice warm sun on our bones. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The coronavirus continues to dominate all of our news bulletins and all of our papers today. And of course, the big story out of Ireland today is the news that thousands of workers at the tech giant Google in Dublin, their headquarters there, have been told to work from home today. I'm wondering how workers are feeling about it. And um, this is to do with one staff member. Now, this staff member presented, which is described as flu-like symptoms, but the person has been tested for the coronavirus. So I'm assuming this person must have travelled to one of the affected areas and must have come in contact with somebody in one of the affected uh, areas. So, anyway, the powers that be at Google decided that they would send the majority, ask the majority of their staff. They have 8,000 workers working here in Ireland um, most of them in their the campus in Dublin Dock, Docklands they told them all to work from home today now the company is also saying that it's um, the, the measure has been used to test the ability of its staff to work remotely so they're not pointing directly at this one staff uh, member the worker in question hasn't tested positive or negative for the virus at this stage but they decided they're going to send all the workers told all the workers stay at home let's see how you get on with this and they said they're doing it out of an abundance of caution uh, that's why the staff have been told to work from uh, home. And then here in Ireland, while we still only have the one confirmed uh, case, it was reported yesterday that we could here in Ireland end up with clusters of cases of the new coronavirus in the very near future with one 
person infecting another, infecting another, infecting another. And this came from, you know, this press briefing that they do every day by our Chief Medical Officer, uh, Tony Houlihan. He said the risk of widespread transmission in Europe within weeks is now moderate to high. Uh, and also he spoke about the fact that today is the day that the expert group are meeting. Uh, this is the expert group who are overseeing the coronavirus crisis. They're meeting today and they're going to finalise guidelines on the ma- on mass gatherings. So mass gatherings, obviously, is going to have implications for the St. Patrick's Day Festival in Dublin, which is probably the biggest event nationwide on St. Patrick's Day. And they're going to decide whether it's going to go ahead or whether they're going to cancel it. And I'm assuming if the St. Patrick's Day Festival in Dublin got cancelled, that certainly would have a knock-on effect for St. Patrick's Day parades all around uh, the country. So we'll wait and see what comes out from the expert group, but I'd be interested in the in your thoughts on that. Do you think, is that an overreaction, the fact that we only have one coronavirus case, or the fact that we have, well, we have two on the island of Ireland, uh, but only one in the Republic, but the fact that we only have one, should we err on the side of what we did for, and I hate to, we're harping back again to the foot and mouth uh, disease because foot and mouth we were protecting the agriculture industry this time we're protecting human life and health Uh, but should we err on the side of what we did when the foot and mouth there was one case in Ireland we locked the country down and it worked we certainly didn't get any more cases so if we now have one recorded case in the Republic should we completely lock the country down should we end all mass gatherings which would mean no St. Patrick's Day it would also have knock on effects by the way for sporting events because it would mean the cancellation of all big matches as well but give us your thoughts on the St. Patrick's Day parades do you think they should go ahead um, or would, what, what way do you think the expert group will come out on this one uh, today uh, they're still saying the current risk of catching the virus in the Republic still remains very uh, low and of course the one case that we have in this country we now know was the pupil from the school in, in Glasnevin that the world and his mother knows the name of the school even though they tried to keep it quiet um, they know he was infected he was midterm break on a skiing trip in northern Italy and, and I think directly because that that case came from somebody on a school trip there's now increasing numbers of schools cancelling their tour, their tours uh, abroad. One tour operator is saying some schools simply deciding to cut their losses. They're abandoning plans for what were much anticipated excursions in the annual calendar for the teenagers. And of course, the Kloshta Spirit Neofa in Bishopstown, they cancelled. They had a ski trip. They were going to northern Italy. They were due to fly out on Saturday and that got cancelled on Saturday. But it's the coming week and months are the peak time for school trips. The majority of those transition year school or second years, usually second second year pupils and transition year pupils who go away on these over school, uh, overseas school trips, the majority of them happen over the Easter holidays. So there's, I'm assuming schools are holding off if they have any of their trips planned for over Easter, will they cancel them or not? But if they do decide to cancel them, it means the parents are going to be at a loss. They work out at about €800 Euro each. That's what parents have paid for the flight and the accommodation. And it looks like it is the parents will suffer the big loss because anyone cancelling a trip to a number of at-risk areas in northern Italy, they may have a chance of getting their money back. But many of the tours, including some of the ones that have been cancelled this week, were to places like Rome, Berlin, Madrid and Paris. No possibility of compensation in the event of a cancellation there. It's only if there's 
advice from the government not to travel to a particular destination that you have any hope of getting money back on your travel insurance. And then somebody yesterday contacted us to say that they were talking with a family member somewhere in the United Kingdom who works with somebody who was just back from northern Italy. And the advice in the United Kingdom to anyone who's returning from an affected region, they're being asked to self-isolate. And this lady was telling us uh, yesterday that her sister works with somebody who had been in northern Italy last week on a ski trip and when they came home uh, met at the airport were told now they've absolutely no symptoms but they were told you need to self-isolate so obviously she had to contact work to say I'm not going to be in work for the next two weeks because I've been told to self-isolate. But that's not the case here in Ireland. And somebody was asking us if we could look into that and find out why. You only self-isolate here if you start to develop any type of symptoms. Now, Tony Houlihan, at the press briefing yesterday, actually, this issue came up uh, and he said that we're not following the same approach as they're doing in the United Kingdom but he said the advice we're following comes from the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control and they are saying to people that you only self-isolate if you have the symptoms but as I say it is a very different approach over in England if you arrive back and you have any, even without symptoms, just the very fact that you've come back from an affected area, you are asked to self-isolate immediately. And of course, the big question that we got yesterday from people is, you know, what happens? Would you be, will you be paid? Uh, two things. If you come down with the coronavirus, would, would you be paid? Or if you were asked to, as they're doing in the United Kingdom, self-isolate, will you be paid? Or if you have symptoms, will you be paid? Or what happens if you have a family member who becomes sick with coronavirus and you're at home looking after them will you be paid for that and the Department of Social Protection have come out because obviously they're getting a lot of calls both from employees and from employers saying what happens you know who who ends up paying the person so if an employee is diagnosed as being ill with the COVID-19 normal workplace arrangements in respect of sick leave should apply employees of course then can apply for illness benefit from the department which is um, subject to a means tested but if you're told to self-isolate if you don't have any of the symptoms but you're just told to go home and self-isolate like what's happened in the school even though the, the school have the Department of Education have come out and said that all the teachers in that school are being paid and I also know any any medical staff that are asked to self-isolate say somebody who's come in contact with somebody with coronavirus who doesn't have any symptoms nurses, doctors or whatever the HSE have said they will also be paid but if you're working in the private sector what happens? A department spokesman says an employee who was advised or directed by a registered medical practitioner to self-isolate on the basis that they are of a probable source of COVID-19 infection if their employer ceases to pay their wages then they can apply for income support from the Department of Employment Affairs. Now a person who self-isolates in accordance with up-to-date guidelines from the HSC but doesn't have a medical cert from a medical practitioner may also and then their employer says well I'm not paying you for that they may also apply for income support in the form of supplementary welfare allowance but obviously that's going to be uh, means uh, tested. And then what happens if uh, a person is advised to self uh, isolate by the employer as a precaution. If you're requested to take time off as precaution only in situations where the employer can't continue to pay the wages 
guess what? You're asked to apply for a job seekers be- benefit, which to me makes it look like the employer is saying, I need you to take time off. I'm not happy. We've had a, you know, you've been in contact with somebody. So I, I want you to do this precaution. Please go home. But by the way, I can't afford to pay you. If it's a small business, I can understand that. So basically, if the department is saying that person needs to apply for job seekers payment, it's almost like you're unemployed for the two weeks that you would be off. But at least we know that there will be, there will be, you know, nobody's going to be without any money at all. The department very much there saying there are various ways that you can access money if you uh, need it. And then if you need to take time off to look after somebody, would you be paid? There are several options here according to the Department of Social Protection. They include compassionate leave. You could do altered shift patterns. You could bring forward annual leave. Uh, there's also, of course, forced majeure leave. That's where somebody is urgently required to attend to the needs of a person who is affected by illness or injury. And obviously that would include uh, COVID-19. So there are ways for people because there was the fear yesterday. Some people were fearful that if they were forced to take time off, even if they weren't sick but were forced to self-isolate that they wouldn't be paid. Your employer doesn't have to pay you even though I think a lot of bigger employers if they're financially in a position to do it I think they will look after the after their staff but it really is the smaller small operations like a small shop, a small business that may just not financially be able uh, to do it because if they, they, they've got to pay somebody else to come in to cover that person's workload they may just not be in a position to pay an extra wage 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 now a study showing that the majority of drivers have at some stage had their car damaged in some way by hitting a pothole. We're going to be talking more about this study that's come out and the type of damage that you can do by hitting a pothole. And I can already see on our social media huge reaction when we put this up last night with people talking about various places where they hit potholes and the type of damage that they have done to their car. If you have a story to share with us about pothole damage, let us know. And I also, I love to hear, we don't hear a lot of them, but I love to hear when somebody gets compensated when somebody was able to prove my car was damaged as a direct result of that pothole now I know you need to get photographs taken and you need to you need to have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed for this one but our own Bernie who fills in as producer when John Paul is off she managed to get compensation from the council last year she was like a dog with a bone I can tell you that when she but she literally drove into a pothole and did huge damage to the wheel of her car but she got the money back to cover her costs but we don't hear a lot of those uh, stories but let us know if you have done damage and the type of damage you've done and how much it cost and did you have to pick up the the cost of the repairs yourself because I'm assuming very few people would go back to their car and we have car insurance for that reason but we're all too afraid of upsetting our no claims bonus and we're all very protective of our no claims bonus so if we can cover the loss ourselves and cover the cost of the damage I think the majority of it, that's what the majority of us uh, do we'll chat with some of the UCC students they're occupying the quad on UCC they're now into their second week they've pitched tents in the quad and I can tell you they couldn't have picked a, a worse time with the way the weather has been I mean last week they would have been out during the storm uh, Jorge and it's been bitterly cold as well. I mean, last night was a freezing, freezing cold night. I don't know if I'd want to be sleeping out in a tent in the middle of the quad at UCC. So we'll chat with them. And this is to do with another increase. And I say another increase 
in rent on student accommodation on campus on UCC the students are kind of feeling enough is enough the high cost of childcare is going to be addressed on the programme uh, today with a study out showing that a lot of working mothers have at some stage thought about packing it all in and saying is it really worth going to work by the time I have the creche of the childminder paid and the cost of going to work what I have left at the end of the week at the end of the month is it really worth it and it does seem to the child care child care arrangements does it, for some reason it seems to fall back on the mother more than the father that's not to say that fathers don't pay for childcare costs as well of course uh, they do but when it comes to who's going to give up work to mind the children if the childcare costs get too expensive it is a tendency to fall on the shoulders of women rather than men and I, I absolutely accept and there are some fine men listening to this programme who are stay at home dads doing a cr- terrific job so it isn't 100% all about women let's get that out there before we men saying you've been very sexist this morning we're not Uh, but we are talking about this in advance of International Women's Day which is happening next uh, Sunday and a project to get rid of waste from the Cork Farmers Market we heard about this yesterday and I'm intrigued by this because the brains and the powers that be behind this scheme aim to collect up any of the rubbish at the farmer's market and they say they can have it turned into compost within 48 hours. That's terrific. We'll find out more. And Joe Heffernan joins us, it being Tuesday, and he'll talk about the myths surrounding suicide. So there was a lovely call in from... Joan in Lomberstown. Thank you for making the call, Joan, to say her little dog, little terrier, went missing yesterday and the panic, you know, the panic that sets in when a much-loved pet went missing. But thankfully, somebody spotted this little terrier looking a little bit lost and brought him to the veterinary clinic on Beecher Street in Mallow. Now, I don't know how the terrier got from Lombardstown into Mallow, but it did. Anyway, uh, Joan was just on to say that the terrier is doing well and he's now back home with Joan. And she, but she's very, very thankful to the person that picked up the little dog, realised it was lost dropped it off in the veterinary clinic on Beecher Street and also obviously she's very thankful to the veterinary clinic staff as well. I don't know if Joan's dog was microchipped and that's how she got got back to her so uh, quickly but just a number of people helped out with that little terrier and there's a, it's a nice happy ending on it as I say thank you to Joan for taking time out to call us this morning uh, to share that story uh, with us and somebody has been on saying and I'll ask John Paul to get on to the council on this one. Could you find out, Patricia, this is Mick, can you find out what's happening with the job on Mallow Bridge? Uh, I don't see, this is the boardwalk job that's going on. I don't see anything has happened there since Christmas, says Mick. <laughs> Do you know the way, I'm, you, I'm so used to driving over that bridge now and the roadworks going on and a section of it sort of closed off with the barriers and people walking inside the barriers that it was only when I read Mick's text I was thinking when did I last see people working on that bridge and you were right they stopped the works coming up to Christmas which obviously everybody agreed with and all the busyness of Christmas and people out and out and about so it was the right and proper thing to do have there there must be there must be people back since I mean that's we're now into the start of March so that's now over two months since Christmas so surely there's been people working there since anyway listen let us get on to the council and find out what's happening because certainly beautiful day today to be out and about getting any kind of work that needs to be done outdoors once the workers are wrapped up warm. So we'll try to find out what's happening. So thank you, uh, Mick, for that. Don't forget you're listening out for a Billy Joel track on the programme today. It's your chance to see him in New York, VIP style, 
thanks to us here at C103. We've got a wonderful package that we put together. Return flights, three nights in New York, VIP tickets to see Billy Joel live. He plays the Madison Square Garden and it's on the 2nd of May and we have tickets to get you along to that particular concert. We also have tickets for Skip the Line admission to the Empire State Building. There's a three-course dinner and drinks at a New York restaurant as well. you just got to stay listening to C103 and whenever you hear a Billy Joel track been played on any of the programmes you get texting and whatsapping immediately to 0862 103 103 no point sending the text or whatsapp in early because we only draw our qualifier from when the song starts playing for the duration of when the song starts playing and for a little while after us but we certainly don't accept any of the entries that come in before we play the Billy Joel track on each individual programme so wait until you hear the song being uh, played if it will happen at some stage on the programme today I will then call one of our entries back you'll answer a simple question let me look at the question Uh, ah yeah They're lovely and easy. Nice, easy question again for you today. Get that question right and then you go forward to the grand final and the grand final is happening next Monday morning. You must, by the way, be available next Monday morning at about half past nine or thereabouts to take a call from us if you are one of our qualifiers. Okay, we'll give you more details of that on Monday. But stay listening, your chance to win. Billy Joel in the Big Apple with amigoloans.ie on Cork's Greatest Hits C. 103. Cork today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas, and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie. A survey that I think won't come as a surprise to many has revealed that the majority of Irish drivers have had their vehicles damaged as a result of striking a pothole. The study was conducted by AA Ireland and joining me, their senior media uh, officer, Barry Aldworth. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning. Um, you're welcome. Would I be right in thinking that uh, the type of damage that was caused by a pothole was done to tyres? Yeah, so primarily that's what you're talking about with these kind of incidents. Thankfully, in most cases that people reported to us, you were looking at lower level damage, not insignificant, but certainly on the lower end of the scale. So we surveyed about 7,000 road users and asked them if they'd ever had a vehicle damaged by a pothole. About 61% coming back saying that that had happened to them within the past year, whether it was in a car, a motorbike or a bike. And of those who had a vehicle damaged in that manner, just under 60%, so 58.3% saying that it had been a case of a tyre being punctured. So in most cases, you are talking about relatively low levels of damage to the car, but certainly an inconvenience for people. And I think something that won't come as a surprise to people, particularly if they find themselves regularly driving on local or regional roads. And what other type of damage can a pothole cause? Uh, So there's varying levels. So again, about 40% coming back saying that damage had been caused to the wheel rim of the vehicle. Then you had about kind of slightly under 18%, 17.9% saying that damage had actually been caused to the suspension as a result of the, as a result of striking a pothole. And then there's kind of a myriad of other knock-on effects of this. Even if your vehicle doesn't actually suffer damage, you can find yourself having kind of negative impacts as a result of potholes on your route. So, for example, we know that one of the main causes of failure of the NCT tends to be lights being out of out of line, not being balanced properly, and that can be a byproduct of driving on roads which are 
frequently not maintained and may have potholes on them and as you're kind of regularly driving along and you know even hitting low level potholes that aren't damaging the vehicle in any way they are having an effect on the lights being in sync and working properly and that can then have a knock-on effect when it comes to time to nct the vehicle and when you asked the motorists, I mean, as you say, 7,000, it's a big, a big study. It, it, this is damage only done in the last year. This isn't over the lifetime of their driving history. It's quite shocking that nearly 60% said that they suffer some kind of damage due to a bottle. I mean, that's just shocking to the state of our roads. Yeah, it's a very high number. And again, it's it's not just motors. We ask people if they've ever, ever had similar experiences, whether it was in a car, a motorbike or a, or a bike. So again, it's something that's affecting all road users. And I think we, we have seen some significant weather events in the past few years, which have definitely contributed to that. And even in the last couple of weeks, we've had some significant rainfall. Again, that's all going to have an effect on our roads. But it is a, a, a timely reminder, and I suppose it highlights the urgency of the situation as we come into the formation of our next government, whenever that may happen, that this is a problem which is having a knock-on effect for people across the country and in many cases forcing themselves to dig into their pocket to cover the costs. Yeah, now talk to me about costs. Do many motorists look to the local authority for compensation? Very, very few. We asked people about that if they'd ever been successful in seeking some course of kind of recourse or compensation, and less than 1% had actually achieved that. So about 0.63% of those that we surveyed said that they had, they had the costs refunded to them by the local authority, and then about 0.3% chose to make a claim on their insurance. But again, the vast majority of people are dipping into their own pocket, and I think that might be a byproduct of a couple of factors. People may not be aware that they can approach the local council and try and seek recourse in that way. They may feel, look, it's going to be too much hassle to do that. Or they may simply look at the cost of the damage and say, do you know what, for the sake of getting it repaired quickly, I'll I'll just take care of it myself. Would you encourage people to go after the council? I think it's certainly, it, it, it's a personal choice. I think it's going to affect, it depend on the extent of the damage. But if you're talking about significant repairs, it's certainly worth doing. Now, again, you can have a bit of issue in terms of you have to be able to find out, you know, was the pothole previously reported to the council? They'll be able to assist you with that information. In some cases, depending on the extent of the damage, you may have to go through small claims courts. And again, I think that that inconvenience sometimes puts people off. But when you're talking about more significant damage to the vehicle, I think it's, it's certainly worth looking at. I don't think people should necessarily resign themselves to having to dig, dig into their own bank account to cover these costs. But uh, I think it's it's a personal choice at the end of the day, but worth pursuing depending on the extent of the damage. Yeah, and, and you know, let's not forget as well, potholes can and do cause accidents. I mean, obviously, the minute we mentioned damage to cars on potholes, we've been inundated with people. Everybody seems to have a story. Uh, to tell and everyone very annoyed about potholes but a number of people are highlighting you know particular roads where you have to swerve to avoid a pothole and that that can cause accidents. Absolutely I think it's very important to road safety and it's often overlooked in terms of its contribution to road safety that you need to keep the road network in good condition to help prevent deaths and prevent accidents. So you can have a motorist who finds themselves suddenly encountering a pothole. For example, over the weekend where we had significant rainfall, they may not notice the pothole because of the significant puddles and build-up rain on the road, and then they have to swerve out of it towards the, at the last second 
potentially veering into the path of other traffic. Similarly, you could have a cyclist who only notices a pothole late on and has to veer around it, and again, putting themselves in danger as a result of that. So it is an important matter, not only in terms of preventing damage to vehicles, but particularly in terms of preventing accidents on the roads. You need to keep that road network, and local authorities need to keep that road network in good condition. Roads, unfortunately, are not something that you can build and think, you know, that that's fine, that's built, that's the job done. You have to make sure that they are being maintained properly. Okay, and do you encourage people to report potholes to their local authority? Absolutely. I think it, at, the, at the worst, even if it doesn't inconvenience you in any way, you may help prevent inconvenience or costs to another road user. It's certainly no harm to make councils aware of them. Ultimately, I think to be fair to the councils, there is in the vast majority of cases sizable, if not, you know, it may not cover all damage to roads, but there is a sizable budget there to repair potholes, but they can only repair what they are made aware of. So yeah. if, you, if you encounter one, you know, I think we're all guilty often of thinking, you know, ah, someone's probably reported it, or I'm sure someone will get around to doing yeah. that. No harm to do it yourself, and at least then you know it is taken care of. And we certainly have the big, the bigger problem here in Cork is because the size of the county and the size of the road network, we're always underfunded. And, and I can see on the screen we're going to be discussing that, uh, the underfunding for Cork Roads for 2020. Listen, uh, Barry, I'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Barry Aldworth, who is the Senior Media Officer uh, with the AA. I want to go to Buttevant, uh, where Michael joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Ma- How are you this I- I'm very well, thank you. You want to highlight, uh, the, this is the road where you live, and it was actually yes. done well, up I'll last you, year. Uh, I'm not complaining about the, uh, the, the, the men that do the job on the council now, don't get me wrong. The, our road was done last year, and already potholes are appearing in it. For the simple reason is that when they resurface a road, it is imperative that they have engineers on the road to make sure the waters going off the road are not lodging in places. Because when they do the top of the roads and they put a surface on it, the surface is only about, I'd say, maximum an inch. The rest of that is just stone underneath. Mm. Now, anywhere that the tar doesn't actually come on it, a hole will appear if the water's not getting off. We have a situation on our road now that they've filled the holes in three or four times already because the water, there was no levels taken to make sure that the water's going off the road. Now, you can't blame the men that's doing the job. If the engineers aren't there to see and put levels on for them, how are they going to work it? And how many potholes have appeared in what is a new road? One, two, three, four, five, six, within a few hundred yards of where I'm living. On, and and what, str- what length of road was done? About... Uh, you could say three miles. But I'm only talking about here. I don't know about the rest of the Yeah, road. it's just from what you can see just outside of that's your right. house. But the problem is, Patricia, it's not the men that's doing the work. They're doing their job right. It's just that there's nobody, there is nobody taking levels to get rid of the water. Now, if the water was taken off and levels done properly, the repair to roads would only cost the council about 20% of what it's costing now. No, it's it's false economy, isn't it? If they're not doing the job right uh, in, in it's the first not place, that they're not doing but, the job right. But dreadful to think on, on a new road, on a new road that that can happen. All right, Michael. Listen, thank you for that. I want to go to Independent uh, County Councillor Declan Hurley because he's actually raising the issue of the allocation of funding for Cork Roads in uh, twenty twenty. Good morning to you, Declan. Good morning, Patricia. Do, do you bring us good news that there's a huge, big allocation of money for Cork Roads in twenty twenty? 
I wish I could, but unfortunately not. Um, again, it, it's an old chestnut. It's something we discuss year on year. And again, it's the, the issue of lack of funding for our, our county roads. And again, now this year, yes, we have had an increase uh, of just uh, a measly €7 million, Euro, which goes nowhere in the scale of what needs to be done to our, our roads. So, um, yes, it is an increase, but we need to be getting double what we're getting. We've got just something, just something shy of £58 um, million for the now, total allocation. Yeah, for f- £58 million sounds like a huge sum of money. But in the scheme of things, uh, and as I mentioned, I don't know if you heard when I was chatting with Barry Alder of the, of the AA, we just have two, we have, the, it's the size of the county of Cork is our issue, isn't it? The amount of roads that we have. Yeah, it's the biggest county in the country, as everybody knows, and we have over 12,000 kilometres of road network. Uh, like when you put, when you sit down and analyse the amount of road network we have versus all the money we could get in, there's a massive void in between those two figures. Um, and again, it goes back to the fact that every motorist in this county is paying motor tax every year. And I think as a county, we're paying somewhere in the region over 100 million, and we're only getting back half of it. Like so, they, they realize, and I think your listener who was just on there before I came on, Michael and Bosovant. Yes, like the, the the problem at the moment we see as as members of Carcony Council trying to address uh, these issues day on day because we're inundated every day of the week, seven days a week with reports of bad roads is the loss of the man on the roads. Man with the shovel. Yeah. The man with the shovel is gone and going back twenty years ago, if that man was like, he knew where the hot spots were, where the problem was going to be with water, if there was bad weather coming, make ensuring that drains are kept clear that um, water is kept off the road. At the moment, our biggest problem is waterlogged roads. The foundations aren't there. Roads are cracking. They're just disintegrating. disintegrating. And when a road is allocated to be upgraded, that road has gone so far down um, in condition, it takes more money to bring that road back up to standard. So the longer this continues, the more and more money is going to be needed to bring roads back up to standard. And when you speak of surveys, uh, there was a survey carried out back in 2018, and that survey... Uh, showed up that the county actually needs um, over half a million to bring our roads back up to standard. Half a billion? Half a billion. Just to bring our roads back up to standard? Yes. So that'll be 500 million and you're saying we've got shy of 60 million for 2020. So we're yeah. well off the mark. Well off the mark, yeah. So I think that that's... And look, the, the, the public out there are livid and they have every right to be livid because they're spending money day on day trying to keep their cars um, in, in spec in relation to the requirements to have a, 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 a road-worthy car on the road. But like when you, when you see the fact that we, as a local authority, we should be resurfacing somewhere in the region of 5% of our local roads, uh, yeah. down to uh, 1.5%, maybe 2% at the moment. Um, <sighs> like when, when you see that Irish water, um, again, another bane of our lives, we have just two particular main streets in my local area here. One is in Inneskeen, uh, a rural village, and one is in Dunmanway. The main street is crumbling, uh, falling apart. Um, Irish water to come in and replace a, a water main. But, like, we can't, we have the money to go and do that work, but we, what's the point in coming in doing the work when Irish water will come in a month or six months later and dig the whole thing back up again? Yeah, there's actually some, there's a couple of people pointing that out, that roads that are really bad uh, and nothing can be done because they know, the council know. And that's understandable, but we need a bit of joint up thinking so that when the allocation comes to do up a road, Irish water or whoever's doing the work that needs to be done needs to move in and say, OK, we'll get the work done now so that you can resurface it. That's right, and that's what we're trying to achieve because, like, 
we, we, we've had had the argument um, at, at several meetings in relation with the, the roads directorate that do we just go away and replace the infrastructure ourselves and then try and build Irish water afterwards. But if we go and do that, there's, there's no guarantee we're going to get that, that money back. So we run the risk of spending more money um, on Irish water infrastructure when it should be going back into the roads. So, Okay, and and I can see lots of people are very annoyed uh, about, the, as soon as you mentioned potholes I myself and John Paul were talking about this in the office yesterday when we knew we were going to be doing it today and I said we are going to be inundated with calls and texts and I can see the amount of calls and texts uh, coming in I, I was taken aback when the AA and their survey I thought that they had asked people in the lifetime of your driving have you damaged your car but the 60% who said that they damaged their car was only in the last year so it's, it seems to be getting it's worse it's getting isn't it the situation and, and everyone is highlighting we pay road tax what are we paying yeah. road tax for? Well, it's, it's the law of the land. We have to, as motorists, we have to pay uh, motor tax every year. But again, it goes back to the argument. We, we are not, what, what Cork County is paying out is not coming back in the roads allocations year on year. That's why we, that's why I now have requested a meeting with the new Minister for Transport as soon as he or she will be appointed because we have gone on delegations to Dublin to meet the ministers of maybe four or five years. And we believe that that has helped to a certain extent that the increases we are getting and I, I would hope it's because of the face-to-face uh, debates we're having with the ministers. But again, I have requested, and the new county mayor, the first task I did put to him uh, when he was um, put into office last week, last week was to re- request an urgent meeting with the Minister of Transport uh, to address the, the shortage of funding for our roads. Because the problem is there, there's a standard for our cars for the NCT. But why isn't there a standard for our roads? That's a good point. That's a good point. And even the AA say that the number of people, while you mightn't do damage to your tyre or you mightn't see that you've done direct damage to your car, but when you go for NCT, like something as simple as the lights won't be working properly and that's as a direct result of going over potholed roads. So there is a, you know, this is causing, there's a cost factor to motorists in, in all of this. There's a huge cost factor. And there's also a safety factor as well, too, because the roads out there are dangerous. Um, they're dangerous to motorists, they're dangerous to pedestrians, and they're dangerous to, to cyclists, um, dodging potholes. And like, if, if you do happen to hit a bad pothole, it is going to do damage uh, to your car. Some cars have been so, so badly damaged, they just had to be abandoned on the side of the road because they had to wait for a pickup truck to come and take the car away. Um, if that happens late at night, it could be on a bad bend of the road and another motorist might be aware to there. So there, there's a lot of cost factors, but like at the end of the day, um, the, the government and, and the state, this, this state should be providing adequate roads uh, for our in, motorists. In, in, this, in this day and, and age, there's a lot of people and, and we, in fairness, it was a point you touched on. John says, uh, potholes, the man with the shovel, that's what's miss- missing. And there's a couple of other people saying, simple answer to this problem is open the drains. I can see somebody else saying, open the drains. We need the man with the shovel who had the local knowledge Declan, that's what and we that's, need. That's what we need back with us. Gone because unfortunately, as, as time goes on, um, outdoor staff members are going to retire and they're the local lads that know where the, the problem areas are. And when they retire, unfortunately, that information isn't logged anywhere. It's not passed on. Um, so like when that person retires, that information is lost. It's gone with them. Problem, it's a that's a real again. shame. That's a real shame. Listen, Declan, we'll talk again. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for, for taking our call today. 
Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Independent uh, Councillor for West Cork, uh, Declan Hurley. And thanks to Michael in Butterman before that and Barry Oldworth of the AAA. A uh, lot of commentary in on this and I promise I will get to it. 1850 John Paul's been taking your calls. They have been busy this morning, so bear with us, please. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Short Castle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie is one of the world's most popular performers. Selling over 150 million records. With 33 top 40 hits. And 23 Grammy nominations. Now, see him live in New York VIP style. With C103. to Billy Joel in the Big Apple. Madison Square Garden on May 2nd. Stay listening to C103. Then text or WhatsApp every time Billy Joel plays. For your chance to get in the grand final. Billy Joel in the Big Apple. With AmigoLoans.ie. On Cork's greatest hits, C103. Eileen and Mallow was on to say, why have they put cameras on the signposts? Um, at the spa going into Mallow there's a camera on each of the signs approaching Mallow from the spa area does anybody know what that's about now we'll ask the council when we get on to them I would uh, my instinct my gut instinct would tell me it's a traffic survey they're counting the cars just to see how many cars pass in and out and you know peak hours of the day when it's it's busy uh, but we'll check with the council and find out exactly what those cameras are about um, Eileen 1850 John Paul taking your calls we're heading towards the news at uh, 11 we'll catch up on a lot of commentary coming in on potholes and we're also going to be discussing the high cost of uh, childcare that's all coming up after 11 Court today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go Shortcastle Street Mallow Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. I could qualify you for Billy Joel in the Big Apple. Who do you write your songs for, Billy? I always wrote the songs I wrote for me. And I've got your tickets to the Pet Shop Boys live at the Marquee. What do you love most about Cork, guys? It's a beautiful city. I don't know, it's sort of stimulating. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards, weekdays from 1. C103. It's back. This March, host a Cork Simon Coffee Morning at home, work or just about anywhere. You'll be joining hundreds of people in Cork who are fighting homelessness with a cuppa. For your fundraising pack, visit corksimon.ie. Go on, even if it is coffee. Proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lots and lots of calls coming in about potholes following our piece on this survey that's out from the AA showing the number of people they were asked have you damaged your car in the past year? Has your vehicle, and it could be a car, a bike or a motorbike, has it been damaged as a result of striking a pothole and nearly 
60% of people said yes this is exactly what has happened to me in the last year and I've done damage and then the damage the it varied from the, the majority of people it was punctured a damaged uh, tyre uh, right through to damage to a wheel trim shock absorbers car suspension there was damage done to the car's paint and body work the exhaust in some cases uh, was even damaged and that then led to us talking about potholes and the condition of our roads let me give you a sample please of some of the commentary we have received firstly just take a quick look at what went up on social media we put this up on social media last night to say we'd be doing it today Kevin says the spa road from Oliver's Cross into Mallow is something like you would find in a war-torn country Sharon said the suspension went in my car last week and the mechanic said it's due to the number of potholes you're hitting on the roads Emma Ryland to Ballyvorney via Clondrohod all you do is dodge potholes. Joan says, yes, I've had my car. Yes, my car has been damaged. I have had my car. I had my car three weeks when I hit a pothole. It wrecked the tyre and had to be replaced. Joan says, I decided to write to the council. They refused to pay for the damage. The reason given was that it wasn't the time of year for doing potholes on that road. Then a few weeks later, uh, I had more damage. I had another refusal. They they have very plentiful resources, though, when it comes to writing letters to you to turn you down for any form of compensation. Michael says, yes, he's had damage done to his car. Tyre and rim damage, but more so wheel balancing and tracking. But the real worry is everyone is driving erratically, trying to avoid these potholes peppered on all of our secondary roads but in Ireland this is the norm so I guess it's okay says Michael I'm assuming rather sarcastically Janet says potholes cost me about €3,000 a few years ago uh, between tyres and I cracked three wheels all in the car park in Carrigaline. That'll tell you how deep the potholes were. The roads in Cork are a disgrace. You won't see as many potholes here in Kerry. And if there is a day, if there is one in a day, it will be fixed. You can't say the same for Cork, says Janet. Donna says people are paying hard earned money to keep their cars NCT'd and road worthy with motor tax on top of it. And then to have roads in that condition, it is really maddening, says Donna. Ben says, what exactly, where exactly does all of our road tax that we pay? Where does it go? all go? Along with all of the other taxes because certainly it's not going into the roads when you look at how shocking the condition of our roads are. Susan says Mitchellstown is riddled with potholes. It's like driving a Dodgem car navigating around them. And Jamie says there's two big potholes in Ballygiblin in Mitchellstown. So they're so big you could actually swim inside them. Alright, that was just someone that came in on our social media. Noel then contacted the programme. He in Bandham. He says, I hit a pothole on the McCroom Road in Bandham. I filled out a claim form. I took over 11 photographs of the area. The road was where the road was damaged. Plus, I got a report from my garage to say the type of damage that was done to my car. And wait for this. The council put it down to wear and tear in my shocks in the car. But... Noel says, I can guarantee you it was the pothole that caused the damage. The roads in Bandon are not maintained uh, due to the road works that are ongoing at the moment. The council fought me for months, but it was back and put all the blame back on me saying it was my fault. Nothing been done in Bandon because that's kind of the point that Declan Hurley made when there's, you know, any kind of flood works going on or drainage works going on. The council, and you can kind of see why they're not going to waste money if they know the roads are being dug up and that's the situation certainly that's happening in Bandon at the the, uh, moment. Also coming in on potholes, Kevin in Ring of Skiddy. Shane Ross 
our current, he still is our current Minister for Trans Transport, but not for very much longer. He was he was always more interested in the major road network. He was never really interested in our regional roads. He also appeared to be more interested in cycle lanes and not in dealing with the current road network. If the road is unsuitable to be driven on, then is it not the responsibility is that not the responsibility of the council? If we're paying road tax and not getting the service, what can we do when we damage our vehicles? Is it the council we claim off? Um, Kevin feels at this stage because he didn't have much confidence in the Minister for Transport. It's actually straight to the Dáil. Dáil Aaron is where we should be going to get any form of compensation. And Tim in Carrick Tool, when you turn off at the two mile in, there is a pothole with a cone sitting inside in it. It's at the side of the road. It's there for the last two weeks. Tim said, I was talking to a guy who works in the council and they're saying, are you aware of that pothole that somebody's actually put a cone into it? Maybe somebody from the council put a cone into it. And he said he was chatting with this guy from the council and he says, obviously the council are aware of it. He said, if council staff pass that pothole, they're not allowed to touch it. They will actually get into trouble. They have to wait until they are officially told, you must go to that pothole where the cone is sitting in for the last two weeks and fill it in. He said, of course they can see it themselves, but they're not able to do it. That kind of rings a bell with me. Wasn't there a case where there was a group of council workers who were coming back from having done a job and they spotted a pothole and they had like tar and chips left in the van and didn't they pull in and fill it in and didn't somebody further up the chain of command in the council pass and see them and realise that that job wasn't sanctioned and didn't those lads get into trouble? I have a vague recollection of that story. If anybody can remind us of that, I'm sure they got into trouble that they they were using their own initiative and they were told that they shouldn't have used their own initiative. That's exactly what Tim and Carrick Tool was told there. Unless it is sanctioned by the powers that be and they're told what to do, they're not allowed to go out and uh, do it, which seems absolutely crazy give the lads, you know, a bit of initiative. I would have patted those guys on the back and said, well done to you for having the bit of initiative instead of going straight back to the yard with what was left on the truck that could fill the pothole. They decided to fill the pothole. Uh, Jim in Formoy says the main street in Formoy is a disgrace. But he said all over the town, it's not just the main street anymore. He said everywhere you go, you can actually physically see the potholes are getting worse. Now, some of your texts coming into us to 0862103103 on potholes. Two bad potholes on the Lisconnell Road uh, near Newmarket. One of them, Suzanne, is very, very uh, deep. Padder says, on your conversation on roads, our road engineering standards are in the dark ages, according to Padder, compared to the roads in Northern Ireland. The surface they used use in Northern Ireland is applied to last for years and it does. If you work if you walk on our roads, you can see the visible cracks. Water gets into those cracks. Hey presto, that's how a pothole forms. The man with the shovel comment doesn't stand up according to Padder, as the roads were riddled with potholes many years ago as well. Yeah, there was all yeah, we've always had a problem with potholes, but I don't know if I agree with you for putting down the man with the shovel. The man with the shovel was able to clear drains and dikes 
and he knew the flashpoints. He knew if there was going to be heavy rain, that water was going to lodge on that road unless it can run off somewhere. So he would make sure that the area where it would run off would, would be clear. And like lots of people, Padder, every time we do this issue, we will get people saying that the man, when the man with the shovel was there, that their particular road never floods the way it floods now or there wasn't as many potholes on the road where somebody lives because the man with the shovel made sure that all the ditches and the drains were kept clear so that the water could run off. So, you know, I think you're wrong to say that the man with the shovel comment doesn't stand up because too many people reckon that the man with the shovel really helped to alleviate a lot of the problems. Hi Trish says, Paddy, the roads in Bantry, Newtown area are a disgrace. Why are we paying road tax at all? It's an absolute joke. And then some of your WhatsApps uh, in. Patricia, indeed, the roads, just like the council, are a disgrace. Council will have about two lorries with six men out to fill a pothole and they'll have to be done a pothole that will have to be refilled again and again and again. Why can't they put cement into the potholes? Also, why is so much money being squandered on big paths and curbs? Have other people noticed this? It's blocking up everywhere. We seem to be very large. Whenever new footpaths go down, they seem to be very large. Surely that money would be better spent on roads. Also, most hedges have not been cut. Some haven't been cut in 40 years. This is only adding to the problems in very rural areas. Look at areas where hedges are trimmed back on a regular basis. You'll see much less road debris and damage on those roads. The council and the government, according to this WhatsApp, are, are a joke. There's no work being done outside of the major cities and people are being crucified with car tax and NCT costs, etc. And somebody has, thank you for that, some, Alan, thank you Alan, for the, Alan has sent in pictures on uh, WhatsApp. Hi Patricia, this is a picture of the state of the road outside our house. The council filled it in with loose chippings. Then when the traffic was passing, the Chippings hit the windscreen of our car, causing two cracks. We live in the Tallow area, so obviously that's under the remit of Waterford County Council. We've contacted Waterford Council on numerous occasions via email, email and have over the past few months heard absolutely nothing back. We have placed the cones in the pothole because when it fills with water, you can't see it and therefore it cannot be avoided says Alan and yeah it's right outside I can see I'm assuming that's the entrance to your house just a little bit up from it and you can see it's almost like the side of the road has just disappeared it's it's now it's not a very deep pothole even though maybe it is it's hard to judge in, in a photograph but well done to Alan he's balanced one cone on top of another cone he's put the two of them there so at least when people are driving them they'll know to avoid but the danger straight away you're driving along that it's a reasonably narrow road looking at the at the photograph you'll swerve to avoid that God do you know if you swerve very quickly to avoid something as a car coming against you. That's what I always I always worry about. You know, head-on collisions. You often wonder afterwards, was it to do with somebody swerving to avoid uh, a pothole? But yeah, uh, what I would say to Alan, because you're certainly getting nowhere with your emails to the council, have you tried contacting a local councillor in your area? They usually are quite good at highlighting because that certainly that road needs to be sorted. And putting down chips is, uh, you can see where the chips have gone down and they've all nearly been washed away as well. They're just, they're wasting their time. They're absolutely uh, wasting their time throwing chips into that. 1850 Can I move to coronavirus? Because we have a number of... Uh, we have a number of people contacting us about the coronavirus which I started the programme with let me let me look at some of the WhatsApps uh, Maggie says Patricia um, 
Morning, Patricia. As we only have one person with the coronavirus at the moment, I think we should act now. As so many elderly and people with underlying health problems, we should at least stop all flights from affected areas into this country, as otherwise it will take over and we won't be able to cope. And we don't have the beds in our hospitals. People are saying, sure, it's only like a bad flu. I wouldn't like to be trying to breathe with respiratory problems as I'm diabetic. So the sensible thing is to try to contain it and try to contain it now. We can see how fast it moved from China to other countries and we still don't know a lot yet about this particular virus says Maggie it seems to be changing on a daily basis so lock the country down this is when I was asking people should we cancel all of the St. Patrick's Day parades would you go so far as to what Maggie says cancel all flights particularly flights coming from any of the areas or any of the countries where there is you know I, I don't know what figure you'd use but where there's large outbreaks just cancel all of the flights John says Patricia all gatherings should be cancelled also John goes further all trips abroad should be cancelled now is the time to stop everything people who are travelling are putting everybody's lives at risk not just their own your health is your wealth. The government appear to be asleep. They're only interested in feathering their own nests. They will live forever. Says John. Wow. Well, we don't have, we only have a caretaker government who are, I suppose are doing the very best that they can. And, you know, in fairness, we do have this press briefing that they do every day at seven o'clock and they're telling everyone and keeping everyone as, as informed as possible. And certainly I'm directing anyone who's contacting us who are concerned about the coronavirus and unsure of particular information. Go to the HSC website, hsc.ie. They have a particular section on the coronavirus and it's all the latest up-to-date information. Just, you know, because knowledge is powerful. I'm always, you know, say to people, try and get as much information as uh, you can. So if you want further information, that's certainly where I would send you. With regards to the coronavirus as a, a texter, you were right to mention the prevention of foot and mouth and what we did for foot and mouth back in 2001. The only solution is to cancel all public events. Do what we did for foot and mouth. The hospitals can't cope daily with what we have, what hope would people have if we had a major outbreak in this country. And Mags was listening to me talking about you can apply for benefits if you're forced into isolation. How can you apply for benefits if you're in isolation? It's crazy, says uh, Mags. Would they allow you to do it online? I wonder, I know what you're saying. You can't physically go out to and fill in the forms and, and drop them in. Could you get somebody else to do it? Could you post? I don't know. But yeah, I know the point you make. Maybe you could do it online. Maybe you could do it online. And then this is uh, when I mentioned the piece, but you will get paid. The Department of Social Protection wrote saying, yes, there will be payment there for people. Someone points out, huh? The department failed to point out, yeah, you will get some money if you've been made to self-isolate for two weeks, for 14 days, but you won't get paid for the first three days when you're out on sick leave. So will the same be if you're self-isolating for the coronavirus? And Mary said, Patricia, you're constantly saying we only have one case of coronavirus uh, in this country, in the Republic. We have two on the island of Ireland, but only one in Ireland. But remember, says Mary, it all starts with one case. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
Locklairs are wanted for immediate start that's in the West Cork area while an apprenticed electrician is wanted for immediate start that's also in the West Cork uh, area. Customer service representatives wanted for Little Island a minimum of one year experience and an office administrator is wanted for uh, to work in Bohabui. You need to have good computer skills and experience with Microsoft Office. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, we're going to leave pothole and the damage done to cars by potholes. We're going to leave it there for a moment. We will come back to it because I want to move on to a different issue because the cost of childcare has forced almost half of working women to consider giving up their job. It's according to a new survey by Network Ireland. That's ahead of International Women's Day, which is, of course, next Sunday, the 8th of March. Louisa Meehan is president of Network Ireland and Louisa joins me. Good morning to you, Louisa. Good morning. Uh, How are you? I, I, I'm very well. Now, are you concerned about the number of women who've considered giving up their jobs because of the cost of childcare? I think I am. I mean, I think, you know, ultimately, this should be a choice for women, not something that is forced on them through a cost issue. Um, and also for children who are, uh, you know, requiring childcare, they should have various options available to them. So I think it's definitely a very troubling matter. And have we any idea on the number of women who can't take up work because of childcare costs? No, I don't have those figures. So the survey that we did was in relation to professional women. So we didn't survey women who were currently in work. So um, it was more looking at professional women and the concerns that they but, have. But would you... Ass- child but, being a massive- but would you assume that there are women out there who'd love to be going back to work or in work but can't because of the costs? Absolutely, and I'd say parents, women and potentially men as well, um, probably more women than men. But yes, the cost of childcare is, is a prohibitive issue. Um, and what was also interesting is the number of women feeling quite overwhelmed. So just under 90% of women feel overwhelmed as a direct result of um, balancing work and personal life. So what do you believe needs to be done to ease the cost of childcare on families? I think we need to look at it from a policy perspective. So that needs to happen in relation to uh, government policies, organisations, flexible working, etc. But we need, you know, the cost of childcare needs to be right for the family, but also for the people who are providing the childcare. And in certain situations, as we've seen from the recent um, protests, people providing childcare are certainly not getting paid in the amount of money which is acceptable for them and for providing the, the adequate level of childcare, but the cost to a family can be in excess of the cost of a mortgage. And once people go up to two, three, four children, it can become very prohibitive or you can have situations where people are working just to cover the cost of childcare. Um, And I certainly have friends and colleagues who have continued on with the workforce, but their entire income has gone towards the cost of childcare and they've done it because for them their career was incredibly important and they knew that the cost was particularly prohibitive in the early years you know, pre-school or second school level. So they were willing to tolerate. But for others, that is not a possibility. And the cost is that they have the workforce that they need to do. And can we look to other countries, Louisa, for solutions? Because, you know, other countries seem to handle the situation much better than we do. 
Some do, for sure. So, some some don't. Um, so some other uh, countries, and we looked at the Scandinavian countries in particular, will provide more comprehensive early childcare solutions, which are completely state-funded. There's also a lot of Scandinavian countries that will provide better childcare solutions in terms of within the family. So, you know, better maternity and paternity leave, more extensive paid leave for parents so that they can be at home more in the early years. Um, another solution which I quite, I, I think is quite useful, particularly for school-going children, is um, where organisations or countries are more inclined to have longer working days, so where people work on average sort of say seven to seven with one parent perhaps during the, the morning shift and during the later afternoon shift. So therefore, one parent is able to bring the kids to school go off, do work, another parent is available to come home and collect the children perhaps directly after school or after um, an after-school activity and um, come home and, and do it that way. So kind of bookend the day. So there's lots of different creative solutions that are out there that, that countries are looking at. Um, and I think for me, we need to sit back and say, well, what do we want our society to look like? How do we want our children to be raised? How do we want to live our lives as, as working adults within society? Um, because it is something that impacts on more than just parents. You know, it impacts on grandparents as, as well. What do we want that to look like? And then how do we put policies and structures in place at a national level um, to enable us to have the society that we want? So you're hopeful that whenever the new government is formed that they'll take on this issue? <laughs> I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> <laughs> look, I think, um, I think it's, you know, the push will come more from a demand people yeah. who are will demand that they have to have it than necessarily coming from new governments, new you know the current or future governments coming up with this on their own initiative. I think it will be more demand based, and I think as a working mom, as working families, we need to start saying this is what we want for us, this is what we want for our children, this is how we want to live our lives, and, and then sort of you know gently forcing the issue. I think is going to be more realistic. Um, and we've seen massive strides um, over the last number of years. You know, things are better than they were, but they're still not where they should be. So I think that we're going to have to be a bit more um, proactive in requesting Yeah, I mean, to me, I think the saddest part of your survey was the, the 87% of women, you know, admitting that they feel overwhelmed by the pressures mm. of a modern life. Yeah, and I think that for me is is quite shocking. Um, and with most of those feeling that way on a daily or a weekly basis, which I think is huge. You know, certainly if I look at my own life, you know, there are absolutely times when I feel completely overwhelmed. Um, and that is, not, my life is brilliant. Every individual component is easy, but it's when you put them all together, mm. you know, running your own business, being a mom, being a friend, being a partner, being a wife, and you throw it all together into one big pot, it can become incredibly challenging at that point to to juggle all those balls and to keep it to keep it working to, together. Um, so I think that the variety of roles that we play, I think, is where feeling overwhelmed can come from. Certainly, from my perspective, as opposed to any specific individual role on its own. Yeah, and I think, and, I, and I'm not in any way taking from men, and I, I, I you know, and, and men do their very best. But I think we 
mothers do the guilt, the mammy guilts. We do that, uh, you know, a lot more, I think, than the dads do. And that just adds to that feeling of being overwhelmed. If you're constantly thinking that, you you know, you you feel guilty about leaving the kids to childcare, you feel guilty about collecting them later if you don't get there on time or guilty because you've missed something that they wanted you to be at, you know. Yeah, no, completely. My God, I, I felt parent guilt before I left Hollow Street. Um, it's not, you know, that, that sort of came with um, the territory. As soon as as soon as my first son was born, I sort of, guilt was probably one of the first emotions I felt. Um, for sure, like, you, you feel like you're never doing enough um, and you're never doing it good enough. Like, you know, my son had a, an activity on Sunday. Um, some parents turned up. I couldn't go. And he was like, oh, but mom, I thought you'd be there. I'm like, seriously, I'm at everything. <laughs> like, you know, why do you know, just this one thing that I'm not at. The one time. And hundred that I am. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, so, I know. Sure. Look, but I mean, we can't overcome that. I think what we can absolutely do is put structures in place that make it easier to be um, parents or, or, you know, have other caring positions, other roles in society. It's not all just about parenting. And also have a good work life. And I think that that's, you talk about work-life balance, but it's the, the truth of what that is. Um, we need to really start thinking about what that looks like because it impacts on our mental health and our well-being. Um, you know, simple things like the commuting that's happening right now massively uh, impacts on childcare needs because you need to have children in childcare for longer yeah, if your yeah. commute is longer. Um, and that impacts on your overall sense of feeling overwhelmed if it's taken you um, a couple of hours as it is for me this morning. Just to, just to get into work. work, yeah, yeah, and then you know, and you'll you'll face that at the other end of the day as well. All right, exactly. and, and, and Louisa, exactly. just remind us what Network Ireland is all about. Yes, so Network Ireland is a professional network for women throughout the country, so for people who are running their own businesses and people who are working in organisations, um, and it really is a very supportive network. So it's about coming together for collaboration, for support. Um, and encouragement of each other. So, you know, we definitely um, look at how it enhances our, our businesses and, and creating those sort of more professional connections, but also in terms of creating friendships and um, a support network of colleagues who understand where you're coming from. So, you know, within Network Ireland, I've got a lot of people who are in very similar positions to me. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed or if I'm having a, a challenge at work or at home, I can pick up the phone and go, hang on, what did you, what did you, what did you do in this situation or what should I put in place? Or you might have somebody to give you a call and say, you know, Louisa, you're doing too much. You need to, as I had a friend a couple of weeks ago, booked a massage for you on Saturday morning or for going a Network Ireland friend. So those kinds of little things as well, which is hugely important. Um, I've noticed thing I've uh, in time, one thing that's been really good is creating a sense of community and a sense of connection with an area where I suppose I'm a below into the community, but now I know a huge number of people within my community um, in a lot of different areas, and I have that sense of connection and community, which is incredibly important for your overall sense of well-being. Absolutely, me. absolutely. That support mechanism, you can't beat it. Okay, listen, Louisa, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the programme. 
Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Uh, apologies, the line at the end was breaking up a little bit, but that is Louisa Meehan, who is president of Network Ireland, talking about the number of women feeling, of working women who feel overwhelmed at times by the pressures of uh, modern life. Mary says, uh, P- Patricia, people should not be having children if they can't look after them. Uh, they should have something in place. We're always listening to so-called modern women and men, parents uh, needing uh, needing help when it comes to childcare. They need to think twice. If you don't have arrangements in place or can't finance a child, then you shouldn't be having the children, says uh, Mary, who I take it is of a different generation to the modern women of today. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7 on C103. My goodness, which is a Cork cafe and food producer based at the English market, have decided to add another string to their bow by setting up a new company called Cork Urban Soil Project which is going to help get rid of waste at local farmers markets and to find out what it's all about Virginia O'Gara of My Goodness uh, joins me. Good morning to you Virginia. Good morning. And Thanks for having me. Yeah, well you're very welcome. Now you're, you're a permanent tenant at the English market but, but you also attend farmers markets don't you? Yeah, that's true. We have two shops in the English market. One is dedicated to supporting local farmers and we sell only cork grown vegetables and the other shop uh, is kind of a refill shop where all of our bottles of sauerkraut and kefir and kombucha can be refilled, and we make food. We started off in farmer's markets around the Colquay and Wilton and Douglas and Mahan Market. And, uh, and it's, it's all vegan foods, isn't it? Vegan foods and drinks? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was kind of a really weird business plan when we started. We, not only is it vegan food, but it's also gluten-free and sugar-free. And we work around what grows here in Ireland. So we have a lot of rainwater. We decided that was a a valuable resource that was um, frowned upon here. But we decided to start collecting rainwater, filtering it, and then fermenting it to make gut-healthy drinks. (laughs) Out of rainwater? (laughs) Out of rainwater. (laughs) We based our entire business on rain, cabbage, and carrots. Everyone thought it was a bad idea. But we're six years into it now. (laughs) We're still doing all right. And you started in the farmer's market. It was was like a a set-up stall, wasn't it? Like a taster stall at the start. Yeah, that's right. Well, originally, our first ever pop-up cafe was in an old LGBT disco on North Main Street called The Other Place. We were invited to do a cafe there. Okay. And then we moved on to farmer's markets. And then we were invited into the startup stall in the English market. And that was a great opportunity for us to, you know, be a part of the city center, to see the whole demographic that we have there, and to realize that our products are appreciated and wanted. And I think the, the management saw that there, and they offered us a permanent stall. And you were there with all your vegan foods in, surrounded by meat and fish? <laughs> yeah, I think I think when we first got there, the, the butchers were a little bit concerned for our well-being. They they didn't think anyone could actually make a business that didn't involve any meat or fish or dairy. But we're, we're doing all right. <laughs> now some of those butchers are our customers. So it's and, a good thing. and so many people, Virginia, now are turning to vegetarianism and vegan yeah, a vegan there's a lifestyle. Lot of 
there's a lot of reasons to do that. I mean, not only health-wise and ethically, but we're finding ecologically it makes a lot of sense. How long are you vegan? I've been a vegan for 25 years, almost 26 years now. And I'm from Texas. Like, I'm from the cork of America, where, you know, if being a vegan is almost worse than being a communist. You know, you have <laughs> beef for breakfast if you can there. But, uh, no, I, I went vegan for ethical reasons in my teens, and uh, it suits me. I'm happy. Yeah, I have. I have a brother who went ethical for the very same reasons. Now he's he's, an, he's older than you. He is now vegan. Oh, well over forty years. And you know They're something? Great. Of all of my family, we would all say he is the healthiest, and he is the one that gets sick. The, I I can't even ever remember him being sick. You know, he never comes down with colds or flus or whatever. He's just very fit and very healthy. And there was a time when we all dreaded him come to visit, but we've all gotten into it now. <laughs> but it's so much easier now to exactly. be vegan today than when he turned vegan over forty years ago. Anyway, I You're completely right. digress. <laughs> let me let me go. Uh, well, I, I invited you on to talk about this Cork Urban so- Soil Project, which I just love the idea of. Uh, firstly, explain explain what it is and how you came up with the idea first. Sure. Well, the Cork Urban Soil Project, in simple terms, is trying to create a system where would-be waste, would-be waste from the Mahan Market, Farmer's Market, is diverted from the landfill and is turned into a resource. It's turned into soil. So the reason we decided to endeavor in this, this pioneering project is because we're trying to go zero waste as a food company. So we want is, to be more Is that possible to do? That's what we're trying to figure out. I do believe it's going to be possible. I do believe it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of ingenuity. And it's also going to take setting up projects like the Cork Urban Soil Project. I have a background in gardening and farming. And you see, we used to always compost. So you see all of these valuable nutrients, all of this would-be compost kind of being sent away to the Midlands. What we want to do as, as a community in the Mahan Point Farmers Market, become responsible for the waste that we're creating and to make it into a resource instead of a pollutant. The way we're going to do that is all 50 food producers in Mahan Market have agreed to go plastic-free. Already 98% of us are. And then the Cork Urban Soil Project, or we call it CUSP, are going to be collecting all of that would-be waste from the market, diverting it from the landfill, bringing it back to a biodigester that's made in County Mead. It's made at Harp Renewables. They're letting us use this biodigester for a year to try out this experiment to turn all of that would-be waste into soil in 48 hours using heat and undulation from the biodigester. See, I'm blown away by that, that you can make the compost in 48 hours. I know. I've seen it work once. We first tried this out at a project called Food on Board at the Body and Soul area. Jack Crotty from Rocket Man and my friend Wayne Dunley, who works at My Goodness, came up with this concept that we'd have a zero-waste food catering area at Body and Soul, and it was a huge success. So people would come in, they would choose, they would eat food, they were forced to compost what they didn't finish, wash off these reusable boards, and then I saw that would-be food waste and bioplastic cups and forks turned into soil. And it looks like, the, it almost looks like a soil substrate, like coffee grounds or something. Okay. So what we're going to be doing for this year, because no one's done this before, it's a science, it's a citizen. It's, it's a pilot, yeah, it's a pilot project. It's a pilot project. So what we're going to be working with Chagas and UCC to see how much carbon input, all of those takeaway containers that we have, plus how much nitrogen, all of that wet food waste, do we need to make soil that we can then use in our community to grow food? And if it works, and we've seen it work on a small scale, and I believe it's scalable, 
if it works in the Mahan Point market, there's 50 food producers and 3,000 people that walk through there every Thursday. I believe we'll be able to do it in the English market and have a green city center in Cork. I believe we could use this in schools and encourage kids to become more a part of creating a greener future. And children children would so get involved in that. They like, are they yeah. will. It's magic. And yeah. then we could have school gardens. This the knock on effect of this working has huge potential in Cork to make it a greener city and perhaps an example for all other cities around the world. Is that biodigester an expensive piece of equipment? It is. You know, it takes a lot to make that. And we wanted to work with an Irish company because if this does work, we can figure out a more affordable way to make them if it's being done on a larger scale. And the, and, and I'm assuming you also would move out to other farmers markets, get them involved as well outside of the Mahan and I think that there's huge potential. Yeah. So we're going to see, you know, what we want to do the first year with CUSP is try to work out all the hiccups. You know, how much carbon, how much nitrogen do we need? What is the soil going to look like? Is it going to be smelly? Is it not? We want to do these things so other people don't have to go through it. So, yeah, there's potential to hook up with Board Bia, to work with other farmers markets. And like I said before, maybe even, you know, corporates need to start becoming responsible for the waste that they're producing. Box Pro has a great urban garden. Wouldn't it be great if all of their canteen waste was used to make soil to then grow the food. Absolutely, absolutely. And have you have you started the project? Well, we this is about two years in planning, and we're finally getting our biodigester at the end of this month. Okay, all right. We 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 might uh, check back in with you again throughout the year. I'd be really interested to see how this how this project goes. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to have a chat again. And and Virginia, talking of farmers markets, how are farmers markets doing at the moment? Well, you know, I really love it. Um, it gives us a chance of small producers to connect with the people who are using our products. And because we spend a lot of time making our products, we hand make everything. Um, we can know what's working and what isn't. And we can know how to expand on things with our customers directly. So it's a really nice place to launch this project because it's almost like a small temporary community mm. whenever it happens. So the Mahan Point Farmers Market is every Thursday from about... 10 a.m. to about 2 p.m. And we see the same hundreds of people every week, and it's nice just to check in. We've been there for about five years, so we watch, you know, babies be born and grow up eating our sprouts and kombucha, and those are the people that need hope. They want to see this project work, and that's why I think Mahan Point Market is the perfect place to launch it, and that Cork City is the perfect place to expand it, because we have that connection here. We ha- we we value our farmers markets. We go and attend them. You know, we value our city. We're incredibly proud of being from Cork, and I think Cork has the perfect population to be able to be a green city and to create a better future for all of us. Well done. Well, well done. How, how long are you out of Texas, and how long are you in Cork? <laughs> I've been in, I moved straight to Cork from Texas, the Texas of Ireland. Cork, of course, the uh-huh. rebel county from the Lone Star State. I how- moved here in two thousand and six. 2006, okay. And do you get back to Texas much? I'm planning a trip right now to go back and see my dad. I try to make it back once a year, and my dad loves Ireland. Does so he? Does he? And maybe in the future we'll find a way to get him over here. He's a hard worker. And have you any? did you have any Irish connections before you moved? I did. I did. My mom slipped the the address of my my cousins, my, my however many generations removed cousins in my pocket, before I came over here. And I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to be a burden on them. So I didn't bother contacting them. However, we wound up meeting at a cob, like a green building workshop at the Hollies in Inneskeen 
um, about 10 years ago, and they're some of the best people I've ever met. Uh, so I feel really lucky to have good family here. And listen, we, 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 we love the American relatives. We love them calling, so, <laughs> so, so never worry about that. Listen, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, oh, you know, you buckets of luck with this. It's a fantastic initiative, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for that. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Virginia O'Gara of My Goodness. But uh, keep a lookout for that new company, Cork Urban Soil Project. It certainly is the way, is the future, and it's the way to go. In the next hour, we will be catching up with students who have been occupying the quad in UCC. It's against increases in rent for student accommodation, and we'll speak with Joe Heffernan, who is dispelling some of the myths around suicide. Cork today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drews Fuel and Go, Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect, or get seven day delivery for the. Those cosy nights in lowcostfuel.ie. C103 Anthems. C103 Anthems. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's greatest hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Win your way to Billy Joel in the Big Apple. VIP style. With AmigoLoans.ie on C103. Well, a little while ago, I played a Billy Joel track. It was River of Dreams. You all got texting and WhatsApping. Sean Meany is in Lis Ballyhay uh, outside of Charleville. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Good afternoon, Patricia. How's it going? I'm not too bad. How are you today? Not too bad. Thanks a million. Are you at work? Are you at home? Or what are you up to? I'm just finished up with college, just on the way home. On the way back. And what are you studying in college? Um, applied physics and instrumentation <sighs> in CIT. Okay, very good. And you're on your way home, is it? I am, yeah. Okay. I uh, finished up for the day. Okay. All right, so you would like a trip to New York, being a student? I would. I would <laughs> love it. Have you been there before? Never pursue that. Okay, well, let's try and get you a step closer. Your question is, what is the underground railway in New York City known as? Is it A, the subway, or B, the metro? It's uh, the subway. It is indeed. Congratulations to you. You're today's qualifier. Now, uh, you, you'll have college on Monday morning. Will you make sure that your phone is with you at about half past nine? Oh, I will, I will. Just in case, you might get the call. Okay, and if you do get the call and you're packing your bags to head off there at the, it's the Maybank holiday weekend, who would you bring with you, Sean? Um, I'd have to bring my mum. Would you? I would, she loves him. Oh, and she's the sweetest person going off with Mammy to New York. Be a nice Mother's Day present for her, wouldn't it? It would, it would. Save me a few pounds. You'd be in the good books for a long time, Sean, I'm telling you that. <laughs> All right, safe journey home to you. Thanks for taking our Thank call. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Sean Meany, my lovely man. Sean Meany, Liz Ballyhay in Charleville, our latest qualifier. You're listening out for another Billy Joel track this afternoon with Nick, again with Martina, again with Eric for your chance to qualify for our grand final, which is happening on Monday morning. The prize, return flights, three nights in New York, VIP tickets to see Billy Joel, Madison Square Garden. 2nd of May is the date of the concert. 
skip the line admission to the Empire State Building and there's a three course dinner and drinks at a New York restaurant. Uh, stay listening for your chance. You need to text and WhatsApp though whenever we play a Billy Joel track. That's Billy Joel in the Big Apple with amigoloans.ie on Cork's Greatest Hits C103. 1850-333-103 Our lines remain open. Let me go back to a lot of texts that have come in on uh, where we pick up on we'll pick up on I'll leave the coronavirus ones for a moment let me pick up on the ones for potholes the amount of reaction we've had to our pothole interview from uh, earlier on Uh, Hi Patricia now I don't fully understand this maybe somebody can explain this to me but somebody says this is when, when it comes to the filling in of potholes by the council why don't the council use heavy plate packers is that some kind of a machine uh, instead they tap the tarmac with the back of their shovel and then they walk off it's not working says this uh, texter we have councillors here in West Cork says this texter driving over potholes themselves and doing nothing about them all they want is our votes uh, in fairness councillors do their best to try to highlight potholes in the area I mean we had one of the said same councillors from West Cork Declan Hurley join us in the last arm um, I mean he's fuming about the allocation of funding I mean the council can only do as much work as they get allocated funding for it's under 60 million and there was a report out last year the year before that took a look at the condition of roads just in the Cork County area and it assessed then, just to bring it up to the standard it should be at for today, it would be half a billion. That's 500 million. And instead for 2020, Cork County Council are only getting 60 million. So you can see straight away there, huge anomaly. There just isn't enough money going into the pot to fix all of the uh, potholes. Hi, Patricia. Um, Graham in Newcastle West. If my memory serves me right, says uh, R. Graham, a few years ago, a large chunk of the road tax money was taken out and used to prop up a pension scheme or was it used to prop up the banks, says Graham. And Dennis says, Patricia, when a girl was rewarded 80,000k after cutting her knee at a fun fair, the council are well justified in taking their time when it comes to health and safety risk assessment on potholes as if anything happened, the workers in the council would probably be taken for 20 million if anything occurred hence the reason why they're so slow at filling in potholes and in regards to COVID-19 says Dennis I say shut everything down I'll be happy says Dennis as long as I get my annual shamrock shake health is your wealth says Dennis Mags make an interesting point how come the Irish built perfect roads in England and hi Patricia this is from uh, Michael how are you doing I'm doing well thank you yes you're dead right there was a crew of council staff who were reprimanded over filling potholes just as you described a number of years ago. It was all over the media at the time. My road is riddled with potholes. The council came on a wet day a couple of years ago. They filled a few and they left the rest. It's an absolute joke. We are paying road tax and property tax to cover services, says Michael, but we're certainly not getting the services that we pay for. We hit, this is another texter, we hit a crater on the dual carriageway from Middleton to Cork heading west. Broke alloys, the anti-roll bar on the front tyre, we burst the tyre, we bent a track rod. Three other cars were involved. The Gardaí were called to close the lane. They wouldn't. They called the council about getting, we called the council getting compensation and were told, not our road, not our concern, nothing to do here. Irish Water were given over 600 million euro from road tasks 
from Road Tax Fund a number of years ago. Could you ask them for some some of it back? Or indeed the government that were in charge at the time. And Margaret says, Hi Patricia, I was told years ago by a council worker that filling potholes in the winter is simply a waste of time and a waste of money. Apparently, says Margot, a pothole needs to be dry before the pothole is repaired for it to have any success of the repair job and in order for it to last a long time. Why then, I ask you, didn't the council have some suction gadget to use to empty potholes of water before the tar is put into the pothole? I have an example for you. We had a very bad pothole on our road. It was repaired, but guess what? It was repaired on a wet day, says Margot. Lo and behold, four days later, the hole was back. Had to be repaired again the following uh, week. 1850-333-103. OK, let me go to the phone lines on this where Mick is in uh, Toker. Uh, good morning to you, Mick. Good morning, um, Patricia. Now you've got, you have a, a story for us. This was on a drive from Cork to Bandon last October. That's correct. What happened? I was, I was on my way, a short story, Patricia. I was on my way from Cork to Bandon to Inishannon, actually, with my wife. And as, uh, beyond the viaduct, I was pulling into a garage to get some fuel. And as I pulled in, slowed up on the, on the laneway of the main road, I hit a pothole. Uh, it turned out the pothole was approximately a foot on the roadside of the yellow line. Right, uh-huh. not inside the yellow line. Okay. And I hit it. it was like a sledgehammer hitting the side of the car. And my, my wife got a terrible fright. Anyway, I got my fuel and I got 100 yards further on up the road and I went flat, bang. And so it was a terrible day, Patricia, it was pouring cats and dogs. Oh, it always is on I, those days. Luckily, I was a member of the AA. I, I, I sat in the car for a second and looked at her and I scratched my head and I said, what will I do? Can't you ring the AA? She said, we're a member, aren't we? So I did. And within 20 minutes, the AA appeared at the car. He helped me to a garage um, on the northern side of Inishannon where I had to replace the tyre. And... Um, Actually, when I was replacing the tyre, my two front tyres were pretty good tyres, but I suddenly thought I'm putting on a new tyre, and I have an unbalanced front front wheel, so I decided to plant two tyres. Okay. So it cost me two tyres. So I came home, and a bit frustrated and a bit annoyed, but that's nothing new when you're travelling on the roads today. But I rang the county hall, and I asked to be put through to the insurance department, told uh, a nice person at the other end of the phone my problem, and I said, can I have a claims form, please? I want to make a claim. And they said, yeah, what's your address? So I sent it out to them. I had to do a few things. I had to take photographs of the pothole. I had to give the coordinates of the, car- of the pothole. And I took photographs of my wheel, right? Mm-hmm. And I filled in the appropriate form and sent it away with the receipt for the new tyre. Now, I didn't send in the receipt for the two tyres, as silly as I was, I should have. And uh, my new tyre cost me something in the region of 90 euros. So uh, I got back a letter from them offering me 72 euros. Okay. And and I said, because they said in the letter that the tyre was partly used. Yeah, they'll take and that, yeah, money. Yeah. So I said to them, then I rang up and I was a little bit annoyed about that. Are you insinuating that I should buy a tyre worth 72 euros so <laughs> to replace my, my yeah. tyre that was broken? And how, how would the RSA think about that? So they said, look nice and politely to me to the case of take it or leave it. Yeah, I think so that's I, standard. I think they yeah. do that with everyone. They'll knock so much off saying, oh, well, that's, you were driving on that for so many months or whatever. That's right, but that's not right, I think. No, I, don't, I absolutely <laughs> agree. And anyway, 
mate, my long story short, I got my 72 euros and I'm looking at the file here in front of me now because I'm one of these people that keeps everything in the file. And uh, looking back at it, I did get my replaced wheel. But I'm after hitting a pothole, I don't know how many times since. Now no. that pothole, Patricia, that happened to me in, the, in October. That pothole was there for a month, I was told before that, because the AA man that came to help me that day said, would you believe I hit that pothole last week into that the, garage? The AA man himself? Yeah, in what? his van. Has yeah. it been filled in? Was it filled in it since? Has. It has, yeah. And you know, what, what yeah. I think is interesting about your story is you, because you were pulling in for fuel, you'd slow down. I had If you down. had been hitting yeah. that at top speed... Well, I tell you now, Patricia, the pothole was only about nine inches wide, which was about a foot and a half long. But I hit the pothole spot on in the middle. But yeah. I was slowing down. But I'm wondering if I was going at speed, would I have flown over it? Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. That might have happened yeah. too. Yeah. Or you'd, you'd have had to hit it spot on. But it was on the main laneway of the Bandon, of the Cork to Bandon Road. It was there for at least six weeks beforehand. And it wasn't filled in until the end of January. Would you believe? Yeah, and that's a busy road. Oh, it's a very busy road. Now, I use that road two times a week. And as you're going into Shannon, Patricia, there's a turning off to the right going down the hill into Shannon. I'm not sure what the I, name the cross is. Yeah, I know it, yeah. You know what to yeah. bring into the back road down by Brinning. Yeah, yeah. Now, between that, the main road and the crossroads, about three quarters of a mile up, there are four big potholes in the road now at the moment. I hit one of them last week because I couldn't see it in the rain. And again, it was like a sledgehammer, but I didn't do, thanks to God, my wheel stayed up and everything is okay and I don't have any wobbles or anything. But Patricia, do you know what's happening? I saw a guy one day in that area filling in a pothole mm. and he got over the back with a bucket of stuff and I was coming up slowly behind him and he threw it into the hole and he hit it with the back of the shovel. That's not the way to fill in a bloody pothole. <laughs> <laughs> you end up with an inch of stuff on top of a hole or two inches. Yeah. The hole should be cleaned out yeah. and down five or six inches. Then filled and compacted with a, a heavy hammer or a compactor, then it will stay. But it's a way, it's a complete waste of time, isn't it? Filling it is, a bottle like is. that. But and can the, I say, can I say something else, to you, Patricia? You can. You know, on the roads, there are a few little simple things, and they're not doing them. For instance, the white lines and a lot of the, the roundabouts down. We have some hairy, scary roundabouts. The white lines have are disappearing and have disappeared in some cases. Some of the bryro, the, the by roads, the briars are coming out, and you'll scratch your car. Mm. Right, you have dirty signs, indicator signs, some of them around the city, and that you can hardly read. And you go out the country, then you see these white signs pointing up roadways, and all you see is the L3405, and you'll be saying to yourself, Is that going to heaven or is it going to Bantry? Or where is it going? <laughs> you know, know, why can't you know what, the, what are the council doing? Yeah. Why can't they put a name on these little white to- of the townland? Instead, you know? of, yeah, instead, of, instead of the numbers on it, makes no yeah. sense at all. But you were talking about allocated funding, Patricia. Yeah. Do you know where all our funding has gone? Where? Since our great government back in the Tiger years. You know what happened in the Tiger years? Yeah. We Every t- penny that's gone in now and comes in from road tax is... Banks. Banked paying off, off the, the debt, off off the debt. yeah, yeah. And, and I know it goes into a central fund and all of that, and uh, but but we do. There, there is always that argument that we do, just don't get our fair share here in Cork, and it's not our fault that we live in the biggest county in Ireland no, and that no, we have the mo- most road networks. Listen, Mick, yeah. great to talk to you. Can, Thank can you. Can I say one other thing? Quick, thank you, uh, Patricia. Go on. On the roads around Cork City, and there is one by the viaduct outside. There's huge big entries after appearing on the side of the roads. And there's one just as you're coming into town from 
from in a Shannon or Bandon as you pass on the divide up from the left hand side there's a big massive steel gantry after appearing with with protection rails and a footpath outside it now I'm co- I've counted seven or eight of them they must cost thousands each do you know anything about them about no I don't but we'll we'll find out we'll, we'll Will send you? yeah we will we'll send them they're big, massive things coming out across the road. Yeah, we'll 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 send uh, we'll bang an email off to the council. There, they're good to respond to those things and might get it back today. But hopefully, we we'll get it back tomorrow. Yeah. Mick, thank uh, you for that safe driving. Thank you. Thanks thank you and thanks for joining us. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Our lines are open. John Paul taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp zero eight six two one zero three one zero three. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit. Corkcoco.ie. Mallow College of Further Education. They're holding their annual open day. It's on today. It runs until six o'clock this evening. All are welcome. Music of the Night, which is a fundraising concert in aid of an Able Ireland Disability Services, will be held in Christchurch in Formoy on Friday, the 20th of March, uh, f- featuring award winning tenor Owen Hayes, Eilish O'Sullivan on flute, the Sybil Quartet and Anne Lenahan soprano and the Carrigal Line singer say we recently accompanied Phil Coulter from the Celtic Tanner. Stickers at 20 euro and they're available as we speak from the Avenue uh, offices. Kinsale's Men's Shed will host a talk by the Mary Keating Foundation Your Health, Your Choice. It's happening tomorrow Wednesday 8 o'clock in the Glen in Kinsale. Entry is a fiver and refreshments will be served male and females welcome to attend and Canturk's monthly Dementia Cafe will be held in the Daily Grind in Canturk this Wednesday 3 to half past 4 in the afternoon anyone with any concerns about dementia are very welcome to uh, come along and the Glen Theatre this Thursday Saturday and Sunday the Bantier Grammar Group are presenting Maiden Ant and on Monday the 16th it will be separate beds and Mallow Daffodil Day Committee are hosting a fundraising coffee morning for the Irish Cancer Society this coming Friday 10am to 12 noon in Hurley Centre in Mallow music and entertainment uh, please support Cork Today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go Shortcastle Street Mallow smokeless coal turf gas and kiln dried wood open late seven days lowcostfuel.ie C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm what are farmers' spring crop options? Some people would have liked to try to get beans in early in particular or maybe the like of spring wheat. Now, because the area wasn't sown in the autumn and, you know, the seed trade couldn't have predicted this, so seed will be scarce. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Range, the complete feed for your calves this spring. Only on C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. A group of third-level students are currently protesting about a proposed rent hike at University College Cork by pitching tents at the Quad in UCC and vowing to stay until the policy is reversed. Joining me is David Condon, who is the Student Union Communication uh, Rep. Uh, Good afternoon to you, David. Good afternoon. Thank you very Uh, much for having me Well, you're very welcome. Now, when is the rent due to go up and by how much? So the, the rent uh, is a 3% increase that will be in place for the next academic year. So that'll be the academic year 2020-2021. Uh, now this is part of a 19% increase across the course of three years uh, that the college has implemented across their five accommodation blocks that they own uh, in here in the university. Um, 
so we are protesting, as you said before, we're protesting against uh, this 3% increase this year. Um, because honestly, to, for, from our point of view, eno- enough is enough. Yeah, it isn't just yeah. the 3%, it's the cumulative amount. I mean, the fact that you, you're saying it's, it will nearly have gone up by 20%. I mean, that's yeah. a huge increase. Huge increase, if you can imagine, especially over such a short period of time. If, if you can imagine you were completing a three-year degree here in UCC and you were living in campus accommodation that UCC owned, have seen rent increases of, as you said, nearly over 20%, um, which is substantial, especially when you consider that, you know, if you are a student who's being supported by by your family, you might have multiple siblings in college at the same time. For a family that's trying to support a, a, a child through college, it's really unsustainable. Um, how much How much accommodation does UCC own? Uh, so they own five accommodation blocks, um, which is a couple of hundred beds. Okay. Uh, well, it's a lot of accommodation. It's now UCC say their campus accommodation rates are significantly below rates provided by private operators. Does that yeah, carry yeah. any clout with you? So it, it is true, obviously, that the private accommodation blocks operating in the city uh, are are quite high. Uh, but the difference, I suppose, between UCC uh, and its subsidiary that runs the accommodation blocks, the UCC is a public institute, um, and obviously these businesses, the, the subsidiary that UCC runs. Uh, in relation to accommodation blocks, is, is non-for-profit, uh, with all money being directed back into it, whereas private accommodation blocks are obviously private industry, and, and their goal is obviously to turn a profit. Um, so I think it's relatively disingenuous uh, to compare it directly to a private accommodation block uh, when you take that into account. Okay, why do have UCC said why they need to increase their rent by this further 3%? So UCC have made, uh, I suppose, press release statements and, and vague statements relating to uh, increased uh, costs uh, in, in the running of these buildings. Um, but I suppose from our perspective, a 19% increase uh, over the course of three years uh, seems like a substantial increase in any sort of expenditure. Uh, and I suppose as members of the board of directors, we, we don't believe that this increase is necessary uh, for the financial stability of the company. We aren't students here looking for everything for free. You know, we have a full acceptability that we don't want to see accommodation blocks close. We want the UCC to be able to build. We want the UCC to be able to sustain itself and these uh, uh, accommodation blocks that it has opened. Um, but, you know, these, these increases that we've seen at such a rapid increase are not necessary for them to accomplish that, that goal. Okay, and I also read that the university management team has committed to wavering the increase for students who are in receipt of hardship funds. Uh, That's something that they've had preliminary discussions about. There's been no firm commitments on that. It's something that they've mentioned as we will look at this to discuss it. But the reality is, with your, when your accommodation block is, is over €6,000 for a nine-month lease, you rarely have any students who are actually in that financial hardship bracket even applying for the accommodation block. Most okay. of them would be going towards private rental areas. So the, the, the amount of students in those accommodation blocks who actually would be kind of apply for that would be a, a tiny number. Okay, and I know the UCC president has sort of put out the olive branch and invited you to uh, a meeting with an independent external mediation, and you've mm-hmm. declined. Yeah. So we we initially declined, I suppose, primarily because uh, we wanted to solve this internally. Uh, we didn't want it to be a situation where. Uh, I suppose the responsibility was being shirked uh, from the president, uh, who does have a degree of executive power. Uh, however, we are re-looking at, I suppose, possible negotiations and avenues whereby a productive uh, dialogue can be opened between okay. the UCC and, and uh, the accommodation block. But we will remain camped in the quad regardless of any negotiations. You're, you're into part. week number two, David. The weather hasn't been too kind to you. It's been bitterly cold. You would have been there for the storm as well. Yeah, we, we, we were there for Storm Horn and, and when we set up first on Tuesday we had uh, some low temperatures 
Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, we definitely don't have uh, the weather on our side uh, at all. But uh, it, it, it has been, uh, you know, a lot of work. We've been working with security a lot to make sure that everything is above on health safety concerns um, and making sure that any students who are camping out through the night, uh, there is no risk, I suppose, to them. And that's been a top priority for us. Um, but it's been amazing, I suppose, We've, um, we've definitely almost been we've been blown away more by the support than by any of the high winds for sure. <laughs> you know we've had and, you, and are the students the, are students still attending lectures and everything yeah absolutely yeah. so during the, the, the days uh, the uh, quad occupation is, is primarily handled by the students union who are uh, I suppose sabbatical officers um, who can kind of monitor we don't we don't have lectures we work full time for the students um, so we'd be able to monitor it during the day and then during the night uh, people have been coming down with their laptops to do their assignments, uh, to do their work by the fire, uh, and have been, I suppose, really, really supportive. We've had, I'd say, over between the nights so far, we've had over 100 plus students who, I suppose, on a rotational basis, be coming in to, to stay a night or to stay two nights uh, to engage in it. We've also had 5,000 students sign a petition uh, in favour of our demands, and over 700 staff members have written an open letter to the well, president of the college urging him to meet well, our demands. You have a lot of support. So you're not only looking for a reversal of the 3%, you're also looking for a, a rent freeze. Yeah, so I suppose from our perspective, uh, the 19% increase that uh, happened at such a rapid pace uh, means that it is also not necessary for the accommodation block to increase its rents again for, for several years. And, and we're open to looking at what numbers would work. Uh, but we, we proposed a, a three-year rent freeze for these five accommodation blocks, taking into consideration that I suppose last year there was an increase of 11% uh, several weeks before uh, legislation would have stopped the accommodation block from even being able to increase at that rapid of a pace. Uh, which, in my opinion, was, was almost like daylight robbery. OK. Listen, we'll talk again, uh, David. In Absolutely. the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good afternoon to you. Bye-bye. David Condon there, who is the Student Union Communication Rep at UCC as those students continue to occupy the uh, quad. Now, just want to quickly go to some of your texts coming in on the coronavirus. A listener, Michael, who describes as a regular listener. Good to have you along, Michael, says, Patricia, I agree with two of your previous contributors, John and Maggie, who believes that all flights in and out of affected areas should be stopped coming into this country. And any person who's travelled from these areas should be in some sort of isolation. We are playing around with fire here. If this gets out of hand, our health service won't have a hope of controlling this and we could end up worse than what's going on in Italy. We need to nip this in the bud and do it now. If the late Joe Walsh, the then Minister for Agriculture and his team and they handled the foot and mouth disaster was here now, it will be dealt with immediately. And also if it was to involve cattle, the Department of Agriculture would have the country on lockdown by now. And so, so says Michael. And it's interesting you mentioned anybody travelling from any of the affected areas will be in some sort of isolation. That's what's happening in the United Kingdom, but it's not happening here. And the reason it's not happening here is we're going with the advice from the EU uh, health and safety. But if you're in the United Kingdom, you're told if you get off any of those planes, you self-isolate for two weeks. It's interesting how different countries are handling it. Carbolic soap, is, says the texter, is as good, if not better, than your hand sanitizer. 100% disabled disinfectant properties are in carbolic soap and it's on sale in Frank Toomey Hardware in McCroom. <laughs> I can't even believe the carbolic soap is still on sale but the smell does anybody still use carbolic soap? I see I remember that from my school days I just think the smell I, honest to God 
I and I'm really good in my hand hygiene and we've upped our hand hygiene at, at home and we're washing our hands like mad I have skin left in my hands but I don't know if I could use carbolic soap uh, thank you for your text so for others carbolic soap use it please it does work Patricia everyone who is hoarding says this texture essential sanitising items are creating shortages and they're escalating the cost of these items to control this infection we all need to work together to contain it we need we need to take responsibility for sterilising our hands and the surrounding areas but we'll be unable to do so if these products are no longer available to us would everyone please just try to be sensible says this texture and consider it when you're shopping and only buy what you need and think of others who may desperately need that hand sanitizer that you're buying even though you've got five bottles of it at home please stop hoarding it Kristen from Wise says Hi Patricia will you please advise listeners to wash their hands with soap and hot water if everybody does this this our hospital and schools will be safe don't be stupid says Chris spending up to 25 euro and sanitised produce everybody everyone wash their hands more often please and that comes in from Chris and from Moy and actually I'm just after thinking I might get John Paul to check on Annalise Trussell's website she put up um a recipe for how to make our own hand sanitizers. We might take a look at it and uh, we might get permission from her and see if we can post it up on, on our Facebook page uh, as well. But it would be interesting to see because people are saying that they can't buy the hand sanitizer anymore. And another texter says, I agree with, an, with John, one of your previous contributors to the programme today. Shut down all the airports and all the chip, ships stop all the cruises China should have done that a month ago and they wouldn't have found themselves in the position they found themselves in OK let's park it there 1850 let's take a break and I'm back chatting with Joe Heffernan Court today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go Short Castle Street Mallow open seven days for smokeless coal turf kiln dried wood and gas lowcostfuel.ie Billy Joe is one of the world's most popular performers. Now, see him live in New York, VIP style with C103. You may be right I may be crazy Uptown girl She's been living in her uptown world Only the good die on Only the good Win your way to Billy Joel in the Big Apple. Madison Square Garden on May 2nd. Stay listening to C103. Then text or WhatsApp every time Billy Joel plays. For your chance to get in the grand final. Save our number. 0862-103-103. Billy Joel in the Big Apple. With AmigoLoans.ie. Listen to win on Cork's greatest hits. C103. Aiken Promotions presents Pet Shop Boys Dream World The Greatest Hits Live An Irish exclusive June 9th Live at the Marquee Tickets 65 euro go on sale this Friday at 9am Maybe subject to fees In association with C103 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Joe Heffernan uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, and Patricia. And we've been talking about suicide uh, for the last number of weeks, in mm. fact, since the death of, uh, of Caroline Flack. Uh, so today we want to talk about myths because there are a number of myths that surround suicide. For example, I think probably the most common one, people who talk about suicide, you don't. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You don't need to worry about them because they won't do it. And that is not necessarily true. Um, you know, no... There is the mitigating factor that the person is talking about being feeling down and uh, therefore the chances uh, might be lessened, would be lessened without question. Um, But it, it is not necessarily true at all to make a statement like people who talk about suicide do not do it. That is not true. So... That's one of the myths that does... um, But it opens up the conversation. Yes. Which is the important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, Because you will often hear from people who's lost a loved one to suicide will say, I never heard them talk about suicide. You know, they didn't give any indication that they were thinking like this. And I think some people therefore put the two of those together and think all the people who are talking about it must be okay, but they're not. Now, suicides are impulsive. You say that's false. Yeah. Like the the majority of suicides, um, they've been preceded by some of the factors that we mentioned last week. Um, Depression, illness, pain. And they have entered the thought process of the person. Now, that's not to say that they have shared about how they're feeling. Um, But uh, it's not uh, that the person impulsively, uh, in in a moment of illogical thinking, um, takes um, their own life. So... Um, it's it's something that the person has been uh, thinking about. Um, just like in the previous, uh, there about people talking, um, it uh, it isn't uh, an out of the, for the person. It isn't an out of the blue um, act that that they haven't. Um, uh, thought about or didn't have any of the uh, the pain, the pressure, uh, the uh, the the despair, uh, the pain that that came before it. Okay, suicidal people really want to die, and nothing will stop them. Now, I, I've often heard people say that. You claim that's false. Well, let me put it this way: 
um, suicidal people um, um, are, are very upset, very undecided, very conflicted, and they just want this awful pain to stop. Now, whether that's um, emotional pain or physical pain, uh, I, I know it's kind of drawing fine lines, but it's not that the person wants to die as such. They want that pain to, to end. stop. Yeah. And in, a, in, a, in, a, in an illogical way, um, they, they think they decide that the only way to stop it is through taking um, the, the, his or her own life. So that, like, um, it's, it's, it's not that... The, I, I know it's kind of drawing a very thin line, but it's not that the person wants to die, it's they want the pain to stop. Mm. It's just, it's such, uh, a fi- it's such a final thing and to you'd, do. And you'd hear kind of um, a, a comment like, um, which I suppose is, is suits, um, you know, that it's um, a permanent solution to a temporary Tempor- problem. Yeah, yeah, and of course, and, because no one can come back and, and, and talk to us, I always think of the you know, the devastation that's left behind after yes. uh, a death, yes. that the person never wanted that. They, you know, they never, they, you know, they would never have wanted to have left behind the devastation that they've, no, they've, they've left behind. No, absolutely not. Okay, once a person is suicidal, then that person is always going to be suicidal. And again, not necessarily true. Um, a crisis might often be short term. It's just like we said there a while ago, um, the permanent solution to a temporary problem. If the person talks about how they're feeling and what's wrong um, and seeks help, it's, the person might never be suicidal again. Um, I remember talking to a lady, and it was so happening, and I've often quoted it, um, who had um, made a suicide attempt um, many, many years before and had come to talk about um, just a a family issue, really. But what she said was that um, her life had never been better, actually, than it was at this point in time. Now, if that suicide attempt um, um, had been concluded, um, uh, I think it was 10 years before, well, then the person would never have known that in 10 years' time, they were going to be saying that life was actually very, very good. Wow, it's not fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when a person uh, can appear very happy, particularly after a period of depression, th- then that person is no longer in, in danger. Now, this is a really worrying one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's often the case that um, when a person has made a decision that they're going to take their own life, um it, it it can seem that um, uh, the pain is about to end, and they can actually seem seem to be after uh, improving. I I was telling you, um, I think maybe a few weeks ago when we started to talk about this subject, um, about a colleague of mine uh, that the person had come to her and uh, sat down and they talked. And actually, my colleague was telling me that um, 
she was actually wondering why was the person coming because the person said i used to suffer from depression but um i'm 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 really doing well now and the person seemed to be you know um in relatively good ish um mood um so when the person didn't turn up the following week my colleague rang the number that the person had uh, given her and um, spoke to uh, the partner um, who said that, um, oh, yes, um, she's no longer with us, that um, he had uh, he had come home and found her uh, dead. Oh, so, um, uh, you know, I mean, that's a sort of an amazing and very troubling um, uh, tale to tell, but a very true tale. And um, so um, I I think the main message would be there that, I mean, if a person is very down, um, if a person, you know, is depressed, um, if there are um, uh, known uh, life problems, um, if the person is very pessimistic um, about, or even despairing about the future, that is absolutely essential um, to to receive a specialist help. It it it, it really is, and um, the the story isn't um, uh, it doesn't always end in a bleak place. It can end um, with the pain ending. Um, where a solution has been found um, and uh, a person uh, feels better. And that's why I often tell the story of that lady who spoke to me about um, the previous um, suicide attempt, not just ideation, a previous suicide attempt, and um, and was now experiencing life in a very, very Different positive way. way. And, and great joy. Rich people are more likely to die by suicide. You say that's false. Yeah, yeah. Like people from all walks of life yeah. and all... Um, all colours, all, all creeds, all... Society, yeah. All colours, all everything yeah. is, um, you know, it's... Um, there isn't any given demographic of um, those people are more likely than, um, than, than anyone else. Than, than and anyone then else. It's suicidal people are always mentally unwell. Yeah, which is false. Um, now, um, <laughs> that's not always true either. I mean, a person can be mentally ill, but um, a person who takes their own life, they're extremely sad. They're definitely not thinking logically or rationally. But, like, they're not necessarily mentally ill in the clinical sense. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, that that there is a diagnosis of a, defin- a defined uh, mental illness. Like bipolar or depression yes. or schizophrenia yes. or, 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 or whatever. Yeah. And then the the last one, and I'm just watching the, uh, the clock, the, mm. the last one, I, I, a lot of people will know, sadly, that suicidal people always leave a note. That's incorrect. It is incorrect. And yeah. some people even have the belief that, well, it's not really a suicide if there wasn't a note left. Some people do and some people don't. And many suicides occur without a suicide note being left. So so again, these are a few myths that um, you know. It is no harm to kind of uh, talk to about challenge them. The myths. Yeah, and and to talk about them and to and to get other people talking about them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay, and next week we're going to do telling a child about a suicide, yeah, which is a it's really going to be so difficult to yeah. um, to do um, uh, for a person to tell a child about a suicide, and we'll make an attempt. We'll try to be somewhat helpful in that. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that it lightens the load for some uh, listener somewhere. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll quote well, um, Bernardos and, and, and people like that. OK, we'll mm. do that next week. Have a good week, Joe. And the same. And uh, talk soon. As Joe Heffernan, he runs a counselling practice in Bohobwe, 029 We were talking about student accommodation. A listener says, student accommodation. There are families slash farms in the Shannon region in a desperate situation, to say the least, with all the flooding. Never mind the amount of homeless people. Give up alcohol and drugs. Pay your way. Try London, see how they get on. Uh, somebody who obviously doesn't have any sympathy at all for the students. And Mary says, uh, Patricia, would you tell us on the radio, please, what is the recipe for Annalise Dressels for the hand sanitizer that she spoke about? Not all of us have broadband or Facebook here. Thank you, says Mary. I will, but I'll do it tomorrow because then you're going to need to have pen and paper and I will go through it and we will find out from Annalise if we can share it up on our Facebook page uh, uh, as well for people because people are saying that they simply can't get hand sanitizer. But I will, I promise you, I'll do that tomorrow tomorrow on the uh, programme. Uh, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. I can promise you that Nick will be playing another Billy Joel track, Get Texting, when he plays it to 0862 103 103. Until tomorrow at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good morning. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.